All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Trust you were encouraged. Your rich songs that we sang this morning, reflecting on the greatness, the majesty of our God, the great work that he completed, salvation through Jesus Christ. What a great hope it is to know that our God is the ancient of days, amen? We look at uh, the world around us, circumstances, chaos, uncertainty. What a great hope it is to be able to come and worship, to gather as the body of Christ, and to remember that our Lord is still on the throne. He's sovereign. I pray that our, our faith was encouraged, strengthened as we worship the Lord together in song, reflected on the word of God, public reading of scripture and prayer. These things are intentional as we work through our order of service and our liturgy. I hope that's something that you are catching on to that uh, we're not just throwing something up together, but it's intentional and, and purposeful. And our hope, our prayer is that it would foster a spirit of worship, remembering who God is and what he's done for us. That as a result, there would be a response from his people that have gathered together. We're jumping back into our current series. Uh, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we uh, hit a strategic time out as we were preparing for moving into this building uh, and all that uh, came along with that. And what a great service it was last week to just celebrate God's work in our church, his faithfulness to this body. It's sustaining uh, the gospel work here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, and we're excited about what he will do in the days ahead. And I hope you will stay encouraged and excited that you'll lean into the opportunity maybe to engage in, in new and potential d different ways that you have even in the past here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. Uh, but we thought it would be important for us as we prepared for this transition to anchor us in uh, some key reminders concerning our culture here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, and that those that come and gather, it's in the context of what we call covenant membership. Uh, we don't, we're not card-carrying members of Liberty Hills Bible Church. This isn't some social club or just some activity that we do on Sundays, but rather this is something intentional and purposeful. We desire to do life together. We desire to honor the Lord in the way that we do it as a New Testament biblical church. And so covenant membership is purposeful. And we hope that you would continue to broaden your understanding of covenant members for those that are already members with us and those that may join with us in the days ahead. And uh, you'll hear more about that at the end of our service. We're gonna be welcoming a family into covenant membership even this morning. What an exciting time that is, an appropriate time as we continue to work through our church covenant. And we're nearly halfway through the series. And uh, we're coming up on this phrase now in our covenant as we've worked our way through a number of different topics and uh, ways that we uh, relate to one another here at Liberty Hills. And now we are coming up on this phrase that we recognize Christian liberty. And this is an important aspect of 
our DNA here at Liberty Hills Bible Church, that we believe Christian liberty is biblical, and therefore we want to recognize it in our midst, in our body. As the church gathers, we come together with all kinds of different experiences and backgrounds, um, and that's the diversity that is so beautiful in the body of Christ. And so our understanding of scripture and our understanding as far as how we relate together in covenant membership is this, that we desire to have unity among diversity. Now, that diversity is certainly not among doctrinal diversity. We believe in the fundamentals of the faith. We believe that the gospel is what it is. There's no adding or taking away from it. It is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, and those are non-negotiables, right? So we don't have diversity of opinion or belief on those things, but what we can have diversity on is some topics of daily Christian living. What we do, where we go, activities that we're involved in. Uh, we're going to look at that in detail here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. This morning, there's a lot of different passages of Scripture that we could have gone to in studying and investigating this topic of Christian liberty, but of all the texts that the Apostle Paul and uh, even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the gospel promotes, uh, we find 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 probably giving us the best and most thorough summary of this topic of Christian liberty. And so my prayer and my hope is that it would be helpful, encouraging, challenging, uplifting, and that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would be glorified as we work through this topic. So the title of our message this morning is Making Sense of Christian Liberty. Uh, previously, I, I preached on spiritual gifts, where we desire to discern and deploy our spiritual gifts within the context of the body of Christ. And I used a similar title, Making Sense of Spiritual Gifts. And I'm now using this title, Making Sense of Christian Liberty. Why? Because these are topics that can many times be misunderstood. They can many times be misapplied. There's a lot of assumptions and presumptions that can be drawn into these topics, and especially that of Christian liberty. And so my hope and my prayer is that by God's grace, we will make some sense biblically of Christian liberty. Would you join me as we just open our time in the Word with the time in prayer? Father God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts. We pray that you would do a work that I cannot do. I pray that you would take the inspired word of God out of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and that you would cause it to stir us, that you would use your word to expose areas of our heart and our mind, whether it be poor thinking or inaccurate thinking, that you would, you would speak into those opportunities that your Holy Spirit would reveal those areas of opportunity and that we humbly and graciously would simply obey as the Spirit leads through the ministry of your word this morning. Father God, I pray that you would be glorified, that our church, as a result of placing ourselves under the authority of Scripture this morning, that we would be changed there would be less of ourselves and more of you. 
that we would leave from this place resolved to relate to one another in a healthy, biblical way that would build up this body in love. Maybe there's somebody here in this church over years past. Maybe there's an offense. Maybe there was a a thing that maybe even we as as leaders and, and elders implemented that maybe they weren't certain about or, or were confused about and, and they've potentially been harboring uh, b- bitterness potentially towards us or towards maybe another family unit in, in the church. Father, I just pray that if that's there, that um, you would cause there to be reconciliation. I'm thankful uh, that I don't believe there is as you've given us a, a deep and sweet unity among brothers and sisters in Christ here at Liberty Hills. But Father, even if it's something small or insignificant, that you would just cause us to move forward and deal with it so that we could maximize your glory in and through your church. Father, we recognize that you are the head of this church, that we are your bride. And so, Father, I pray that we would simply glorify you in our hearing, in our receiving, in our responding to your word this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the series title of this covenant membership is this, More Than Membership. We're attempting to do what? Provide a biblical understanding of our church covenant. Depending on your background or your experiences in church, a church covenant may be something that's new or or different. Maybe you're not familiar with that concept. And so our hope is that you would uh, understand it, and not only that you would understand it, that you would believe in it, so much so that you would have no other choice but to partner with us in covenant membership, linking arm in arm, side by side for the faith of the gospel, as the apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter number one. That's the visual that we have of covenant membership. As we very much look forward to this new season of ministry, we want to be sure that we as the church are thinking and operating in a biblical manner. As we've gone through different transitions and different seasons here at Liberty Hills, there's been processes that we as as elders have literally just put everything on the table and the grid that we filtered every program and every decision and everything through was this, what is best and most biblical? And by God's grace, we attempted to just walk by faith into wherever that led us, wherever God's word and the Holy Spirit led us, we were just by faith going to take that step. Covenant membership for the individual believer. It is a step of faith. Our hope and our prayers that we would be convictionally stirred to believe that we're not just church attenders, that we don't just go through the motion of church, but rather God's plan is for that us as, as members to be fitly joined together like ligaments and muscles and and bones are fit together in the human anatomy. Paul uses that analogy to help us understand the severity and the depth and the weight of our partnership and relationship with the local body. So I pray that whatever you have experienced in the past around membership and attending church, that you would just allow God's word to just speak in to that Uh, that opportunity, and that in this moment, you would ask the Lord to do a work, to stir your heart. So we believe. We believe this 
Covenant membership, this idea of even Christian liberty, recognizing Christian liberty in the context of the local church, we believe this honors the Lord, and it it honors the intent of New Testament Christianity. As you look at all the pages of the New Testament, there are no such things as Lone Ranger Christians. There are no such things as church hopping and uh, going to this church this week and, and to that church next week. God wants us to be plugged in, engaged serving in the context of the body of Christ. So what does it look like for us, friends, to recognize Christian liberty, to make sense of this often misunderstood topic of Christian liberty? As covenant members, we are committing to do what? We're committing that by God's grace that we would recognize Christian liberty. This brings us, again, to the the opportunity to understand, first of all, what Christian liberty is and why it is important. So I'm actually going to take two weeks on this topic of Christian liberty as we continue uh, to work through this series. And this week, I'm going to work through the what and the why of Christian liberty. And then next week, we're going to talk a lot about the how, practical application of Christian liberty. What does it look like? for us to engage with a brother or sister in Christ with the spirit of recognizing and offering liberty in the context of the local church. I'm sure you would all agree that it's not too hard to notice that this day that we live in, we live in a day of tolerance. Have you heard that buzzword out there in our society, in our culture? Have you heard that term, tolerance? That our individual rights, our freedoms, and our liberties, they're to be celebrated. They're to be, they're to be flaunted. They're to be not challenged or questioned by anyone outside of whom ourselves. That I am the authority over my own freedoms and my own liberties. This is the mindset of the world that we live in, right? Those rights are, again, non-negotiables. Those rights are to be fought for and protected at all cost. If you're like me, you can think back on this past year and you can certainly remember several social and, and cultural and political issues that a particular group, maybe they, they took others to task on what those rights were as they felt like they were threatened from the other side of the aisle or these, these rights or these liberties or these freedoms were being infringed upon in, in some way. And as we sit and we look and we observe the world and their approach to freedoms and their rights, do we not see the world have this white-knuckled grip type of mentality on their rights? And if we're not careful, friends, the same can be said of us in the church. We can have a white-knuckled approach to the Christian life, and it can slip into the pews that we have simply right here. Now, the question is, what are we grasping upon? Is it the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Is it Christian nationalism? Is it some political identity? Is it some other thing that you hold dear or that potentially may be usurping the authority and the place that God's word and the gospel should have in your life? 
Friends, we certainly never want to compromise on the gospel, but as we look at relating to each other in the context of the local church, and certainly even as Paul is going to remind us, even to those that are in the world, outside of the gospel, all issues should be not white-knuckled, but held with an open hand. And allowing God's word to speak into these moments, to foster conversation, to foster opportunities for us to grow closer together. And instead of creating islands in isolation from the world, friends, we're reminded this morning that we are called to be in the world. Certainly, we're not to be of it. But we should not seek to create our own little bubble, our own little island of subculture of Christianity, but friends, that God's word would stir our heart, that we would never place anything in the way that would cause the message of the gospel, gospel to be unclear or compromised or questioned in any way. So again, let us be clear as we enter into this topic of Christian liberty God absolutely calls us to a position of conviction and resolve when it comes to the gospel. I've alluded to that already. To the proper presentation of the word of God. Truth is not relative. It is absolute. And it's right here in the pages of scripture and scripture alone. We do not compromise on those realities and those truths. However, in areas where God's word does not specifically speak into by way of a chapter and verse, God calls us to practice what we have come to know as Christian liberty. For it is in the gospel, it is only when we are found in Christ Jesus that we can experience true freedom and true liberty in this life. And so the world is searching for freedom. The world is looking for liberty That freedom and that liberty is found in themselves, in their own desires, the less of the flesh, the less of the eyes, and the pride of life. What they herald as freedom is actually truly enslavement to the very sin that they are found in. So certainly we, as believers, are the only ones that have a message of freedom. We, as a body of Christ, are the only ones that have a message in Jesus Christ that can offer true liberty. And freedom from the enslavement of sin, the depravity that we are born in. So it was for this very purpose that Jesus came into this world and took on flesh as the Son of God. He came to give his life as a what? As a ransom. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. A ransom for what? Ransom for our very souls. Again, we are enslaved by our sin. This is the price that had to be paid. There was a ransom that must have been paid, and it was Jesus, through the giving of his life, the shedding of his blood, that that debt was cleared. So we are in bondage to our own desires. So I also want to remind us and be very clear that the Bible celebrates this idea of freedom. This is the core message of the Bible. God's redemptive plan secures our freedom, freedom in Christ. Not in ourselves, not in our own understanding or our own desires or our own way or our own ambitions. 
We are free only when we are in Christ. So, friends, Scripture does not promote an impressive view of the gospel, but Paul does remind us of these important nuances of the gospel in Galatians 5, verse number 1, for freedom. Paul says this in Galatians 5, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul goes on to say, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery has has been defeated. Amen? That ransom was sufficient and efficient, and true freedom, this side of eternity, will only be realized through Jesus Christ. So friends, I want us to be careful in our understanding of Christian liberty that we are a church that promotes freedom and liberty in Christ. This is a beautiful message for us to offer those that are in our community, in our world, our coworkers, our extended family members, in our home. We need to be shouting from the rooftops that there's freedom in Christ, that the ransom has been paid. This all is the foundation upon which Christian liberty in the context of the body of Christ is laid. So Paul, he even went so far as to indicate that freedom or liberty is a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Paul says this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Friends, there's a great opportunity before us in rightly understanding Christian liberty and our witness to a lost world And the strength of our unity in the context of the local church, they all hinge upon our understanding of Christian liberty. So my goal this morning, again, is to lay this foundation, the what, the why of Christian liberty. Next week, again, we'll put the bones, or excuse me, put some flesh on the bones of Christian liberty as we talk about how this is fleshed out in the church. So the big idea of our message This morning, as we will anchor ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, the big idea is this, because God desires his church to be unified around the gospel. Unity around the gospel, clarifying, not conformity around externals, right? We're not looking to cookie cutter everybody to look and talk and act like us. That is not unity. We alluded to that last week, right? God desires for us to have a Trinitarian type of unity, as we alluded to John 17 in the high priestly prayer of Christ. He wants a depth of unity in the context of the local church that when others look on, they say, wow, there is something supernatural happening in that body. Because how they relate to each other, how they love each other, how they serve one another, that is not natural, that is supernatural. Only God could do this work that is happening here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. That's our prayer. That's our our hope. That should be our goal, our aim, and our pursuit, that God would give us the, the grace to have a depth of unity in that way. I hope that prayer is on the tip of your tongue throughout the days and weeks and months and years to come. 
that the Lord would protect this unity, that he would not allow strife or roots of bitterness to spring up among us, that we would keep the gospel and the word of God at the center of our church and that we would love it and that we would live it and we would embrace it together within the context of this local church. So let me get through the big idea because God desires his church to be unified around the gospel. Believers should rightly understand and practice Christian liberty in the Milu of life. I lose one of kind of those weird words, but for me, it's just a word that I couldn't get away from. So what is, what is the Milu of life? It is simply the physical or social setting in which something occurs. It is the environment in which life happens. This is the Milu of life. So this is the physical and social setting in which something occurs. What's occurring? Christian liberty. Rightly relating to one another, that we're loving and serving, we're deferring, pursuing each other in Christ. This is the milieu of life. This is the environment which life happens. So the astute covenant member will be aware of and be looking for opportunities. It will be eager to pursue Christian liberty in their interactions with other covenant members here at Liberty Hills Bible Church. So this brings us to our first of three very simple, but yet, if rightly understood, profound observations concerning this area of Christian liberty. I'm gonna spend most of my time on point number one, so I don't want you to freak out when uh, we've got like 10 minutes and, and I've left and we're only through point number one. Points number two and three are gonna go quick. So, uh, so hang with me as, as we work through the, the first point, and it is this, our first observation concerning Christian liberty. True Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. First Corinthians Chapter number 10, verse number 23, Paul says, all things are what? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Paul says again, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So just briefly, I want to catch us up here uh, in 1 Corinthians as we anchor in chapter number 10 through verse number 1 of chapter number 11. Paul is, is doing what? He's, he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, and there's uh, some pretty strong corrective language that Paul will use really throughout this, this book of 1 Corinthians. Paul has heard of some fairly egregious sins these sins are being allowed to go unchecked in the church. I mean, just some really bad stuff. I mean, we'll, maybe we'll do an expositional study through 1 Corinthians at some point, but it was bad, all right? Just, just trust me. Maybe you've studied some of that before and you know how bad it really was, but it was, it was not a good situation. There's some literally egregious sins that are allowing to go unchecked, and Paul is seeking to recalibrate this body of believers back to the gospel as they remember the gospel's implications on their lives. What's happening here, and Paul addresses this even in Romans, that there's this move of grace which we love and that we would, we would raise our hand and, and affirm the doctrines of grace. We would affirm a DNA of grace, a culture of grace in our church, but 
As Paul said in Romans chapter number six, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says in the most strong way possible, God forbid it. We should not continue in sin just because we are living in and under grace. And so Paul is looking to correct their thinking to remind them once again of what the gospel is, what is provided for them in salvation, and its implications on their life for Christian living. So the culture around Corinth was entrenched in pagan worship. And the believers there were were struggling to separate themselves from their old and immoral ways. So Paul is writing this first letter to the church primarily to address these issues. These egregious sins to correct their thinking on this topic of what it looks like to live out the Christian life on a daily basis. So again, as we picked up in verse number 23, Paul states, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Paul clearly states that all things are lawful. He says it twice there in that opening verse. If you look at the New International Version It translates this word lawful as permissible. Might be a more familiar word that we would use in in our day. All things are permissible, but not all things helpful. All things are permissible, but not all things build up. We're not talking about, again, fundamentals of the faith and the core doctrines of the gospel. He's made that clear. He's defined it. He's put it on display through the personal work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's given us great clarity concerning how the Lord saves a sinner, namely by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So these areas of doctrine are settled, no compromise. However, there are areas of life in the milieu of life that God's word has not or does not directly address in the pages of scripture. So what are we to do? Are we just to flounder through life and just hope that we get it right? Is is that what the Lord has for us in these areas of Christian liberty where uh, a brother or sister may disagree on the application or the, the proper understanding of you fill in the blank? I don't believe so. I believe that we can, by God's grace, attempt to apply wisdom, biblical principles, Engage in prayer, offer love and grace to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, all the while walking in the Spirit by God's grace. And in that moment, what happens? We just simply have a heart that's warmed towards our brother and our sister. We're not looking to make our position known or to be right or to cast condemnation on a fellow brother and sister? Have you seen that? Have you heard it? Have you felt it? Have you been on the receiving end of that type of approach to disagreement? Desire should be to honor the Lord, and right there is an opportunity for us together to make a choice in life. It's an action, a response, a decision that will always impact not just yourself, but there's a reminder as we work through this topic of Christian living that all of our actions and our choices and our responses, they do not 
just impact ourselves, but rather there's a ripple effect. Our choices always impact those around us. This is, again, the context of Christian liberty. So Paul states all things are lawful. If God's word does not explicitly condemn a particular thing, then what is Paul saying by that phrase, all things are lawful? Paul technically acknowledges that all things, outside of the things that God's word has clearly condemned, all things technically would be lawful or permissible. We're not talking about clear-cut sin, right? Uh, There's no question about that. Don't sin. (laughs) We're, We're talking about areas of Christian living where there's uncertainty. And Paul would certainly cause us to understand that although all things are lawful, there may be some things that are not helpful. Things that we could do, choices that we could make, decisions that we could align with. But it wouldn't be helpful. He goes on, it's not only not helpful, but it provides no support in what? Building up. This is the heart of our first point. True Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. So what does Paul mean here when he says that not all things build up? I think there's some uh, important nuances for us to consider in this word build up. We look at uh, the Greek word and the Greek understanding of this. Bakadamu. It describes the process of edification. Something that is beneficial. Something that is constructive in a helpful way. This word build up, it literally has the idea of increasing the potential of someone or something else with a focus on the process that is involved has the idea of, at the core, a strengthening of someone or something. So all things are lawful, but not all things build up. So by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is pointing out that Christian liberty is not about lawfulness. This is where we oftentimes get sideways on this area of Christian liberty. We focus on the rightness or the wrongness of a particular issue. Pretty sure that rightness and wrongness isn't a word, but we'll roll with it, right? This isn't about whether it's right or wrong. We're dealing with that. If it's sin and God's word says it, don't do it, right? We're talking about areas of gray, areas where God has not given us a chapter and verse where we can come together and the wisdom of God's word, deploying the principles of God's word, pursuing prayer and desiring to love our brothers and sisters well and making a decision for his glory. Again, it's not necessarily about whether something is right or wrong. This is, I think, the probably the most important nuance that we could take away from understanding Christian liberty. Whatever my choice is or wherever I land on a particular issue, the question is, does that choice or that decision or that action or that engagement 
Is it going to build up, strengthen, and increase the potential of my fellow brother or sister in Christ? On the basis of of that reality, I carefully and humbly engage with them. I walk with them through that process. So what are the prerequisites that Paul gives us to serve as a filter? He talks about it being helpful and building up. That word helpful has the idea of expedience. Is it expedient or helpful? And does it build up and edify? Um, I've got some neighbors here with us visiting here this morning. They probably have noticed a large dumpster in my driveway. The, the Stanley home is undergoing some remodeling right now. Not fun. Not sure why we did it, but we're at the point of no return, so we got to see it through. Um, but as I watch this remodeling process take place, there are clearly some activities that have, uh, how could I say it? There's certain activities or actions that you deploy in construction. And I know Drew, a couple others here are, are in construction type activity that, that tear down, right? Uh, we call that demolition, right? I'm really good at demolition. I can do demolition, but I, I can't put it back together. Uh, so if you need help, call me. I'll bring a sledgehammer, but that's about all I'm bringing, all right? So we, there's, there's activities that tear down. And thankfully, for a skilled craftsman, there are activities that are deployed, actions that are deployed in the remodeling process that clearly build up. They put it back together. They make it better. They increase the potential of that thing that they are building as a result of those actions. I haven't watched this show in quite some time, but I always had an affinity for an episode or two of Fixer Upper. Chip Gaines was always a hero of mine, right? Running through walls and just a wrecking ball, right? I figured, man, if I could just get a reality show and just tear stuff apart and be the demo guy, that would be great, wouldn't it? So I always had this idea that I really appreciated and enjoyed Chip Gaines. And so follow with me here on this illustration. I want you to consider in your relationships with others in the context of the local church, we do not want to be Chip Gaines, Right? We, we don't want to put the helmet on and be flying through walls and swinging sledgehammers everywhere we go in this arena of Christian liberty. Right? That would be actions and choices and relationship engagements that are going to tear down. When I prop up my understanding or my desires or my wisdom even over God's word and I impose that on somebody else, All things are lawful, but all things certainly do not build up. We don't want to be that guy. Paul is advocating for a bit more purpose and intentionality. In verse number 24, let's read it. He says this. So now my Bible flipped to Galatians. You get back to chapter 10 there. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Paul makes no question that Paul's aim here is about the believer understanding that my individual choices are not isolated or on an island above our own good, right? That would be the things that are lawful to me. 
I'm desiring not my own good, but the good of others. This was the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter number two. Think not on your own interest, but rather on the interest of others. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ modeled this in taking on flesh and and coming to earth. So that said, Paul also clearly makes no question about what is lawful or permissible. He's educating in some ways the conscience of some in the church at Corinth there that have placed a boundary or a limitation where God has not. Have you ever struggled with that yourself? And it seems like the right thing. Maybe you have a conviction or a certain standard for you or your family. And man, it just seems, it just feels right that everybody else would have that same conviction. And so in some ways, you just kind of implicitly or explicitly even impose that on somebody else. We pursue our own good. We desire our way or our good or our understanding over the good of others. So Paul helps us in verse number 25. He defines what truly is lawful. Eat whatever is sold in the market, in the meat market, without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Paul is trying to take the emotion out of this argument or this topic of eating meat that was offered in in pagan worship. He's taking the emotion out of it and reminding them that meat is what? It's, somebody help me, softball. Meat is, it's lawful. And, and I was trying to go with even something more simple than that. Meat is meat. <laughs> it's, it's not anything else, but, but Paul's just saying it's just meat. You, you can eat the meat that is sold in the market. It's, there, there's nothing that's going to happen to you. Spiritually, there's nothing mystical. There's no curse that's going to come on you if you take a piece of meat that was offered in pagan worship and and you put it in your mouth and and you eat it. There's nothing that's physically, there's no physical harm that's going to come about you. Why? Because it's just, it's just meat. Paul doesn't stop there, but he's defining the scope of lawfulness. He starts in verse number 25 by just casting a a broad net and helping his readers understand what it looks like to experience liberty and freedom in Christ. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He lays it out there and, and he reminds everybody of the scope of lawfulness. Verse number 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God created the animals. The animals were harvested. The meat satisfies and nourishes our bodies. Therefore, we circle back to verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the market. Why? Because it's just meat. This was Paul's understanding of this area or this topic that many people were getting wrapped around the axle on. If only life was this simple, right? Right? Understanding the challenging dynamics 
and unique circumstances that often complicate the simplicity of life's simple choices. What does Paul do? Paul gives us a little case study. He gives us an example of Christian liberty that goes far beyond whether something is right or wrong. He carries this illustration of meat in the context of our public witness to an unbeliever. Let's look at verse number 27. Paul goes on to remind us if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But... If someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So verse 27, this unbeliever invites you over for dinner. Paul says to do what? Partake in a good and thankful spirit for whatever is set before you. And just like verse 25, meat sold in the market, this meat now in the context of unbeliever's home, it is set before you. And Paul says that you should eat it. This may be a bit surprising for some of us that Paul would have such a simplistic view of this issue or this topic. Paul's making all of this meat lawfully available in these two situations, in the marketplace, offered in the home in the context of an unbeliever. But he does it still through the lens of verse number 23. What was verse number 23? All things are lawful, but all things, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So Paul's not throwing that baby out with the bathwater and moving on now to legalism and control and limitation. He's saying eat in the marketplace, eat in the context of unbelievers' home, and now we have an additional nuance or flavor of this case study. But verse 28, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat for the sake of the one who informs you. I I, I just want to take a quick little sidebar here. Um, A verse comes to mind, Jeremiah 17, 9. A heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know that verse. A heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I've I've found throughout my, what I would still hope would be considered young life, uh, not quite into the 40s yet. um, I've, I've seen different flavors of Christian liberty deployed in the church some very hurtful, some very harmful, and some very refreshing and and helpful. I find that many potentially wayward believers will take the principles of Christian liberty and lawfulness, and that will evolve into 
partaking in activities and different situations of life that are clearly sinful. Um, and, and we use this guise that, hey, you know what? It's, it, it's, it's controlled. It's, it's just me. It's just impacting me. So it's, so it's not a big deal. All things are lawful. It's, it's not hurting anybody else. And so I, I will do this thing and I feel like I can engage in this thing. I mean, um, we, we see th- this influence in areas of pornography and drunkenness, um, all kinds of other sins that we can kind of tag on to the, the coattails, if you will, of lawfulness in the context of Christian liberty. I just want to remind us that we need to ultimately pray that God would check our spirit in those areas and that he would expose the sin that is there, right? That's the bones that we need, need to spit out and get rid of. And that if there truly is an area of Christian liberty that we're struggling with or wrestling with, that we can engage with each other in a helpful and biblical way that we're going to lay out. So I, I just want to remind us that sin needs to be confessed, And we have a God who is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Paul's idea of lawfulness, it doesn't overlap into areas of sin. Friends, as I'm looking at time, we we do need to to wrap up so we can stay on schedule this morning. Um, we may, we may have to do three weeks on Christian liberty. I apologize, uh, my time management this morning. But I want to remind us again that true Christian liberty will always pursue the building up of others. And so maybe you're here this morning and as we've laid some foundation of some ideas and concepts concerning Christian liberty Maybe this idea of building up others in the body of Christ and being helpful, your choices, the things that you're engaged in, maybe you're not filtering them through that grid that God's word has laid out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Have you considered your brother, your sister? This isn't just about my good, it's about the good of others. And then ultimately, as we continue next week, we're gonna look at true Christian liberty. We'll always promote the glory of God above all, And then finally, Christian liberty will always point others to Christ instead of self. So there's a lot for us to to glean and continue to learn on as we continue to work through this meaningful membership series. Would you join me as we close our preaching time this morning in a word of prayer? God, I pray that you would continue to work in our midst. I pray that you would stir our heart to consider our brother and our sister in Christ in the church, outside the church. Father, that we would be mindful of maybe blind spots that we are causing stumbling blocks or issues um, that are detracting away from the glory of God and the magnificence of Christ. I pray that we would be willing to lay those at the foot of the cross, that you would even educate and grow and expand our conscience in area of Christian liberty and that you would be glorified, even as we look at next week, these different aspects of the weaker and stronger brother, and despite where we land on issues, 
God still desires for us to be fitly joined together and that when we do that, we can build each other up in love. And it's at that moment, Father, that your glory is maximized in our context right here at Liberty Hills. And so, Father, I pray that you continue to do that work. We pray these things in your name. Amen.